This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. From out of the obscure pages in the Old Testament, there comes to us a story of a man whose name was Doeg, D-O-E-G. Many have probably never even heard this man's name, but there's a lesson for us to learn from his life. There are some people of whom it can be said, the more you know of him, the better you like him. Doeg, in contrast, is a man might well be described by saying, the more we know of him, the less we like him. In fact, when we see him and his actions, we might decide we would like to leave out the E in his name and just let it be plain D-O-G, dog. Who then is this person? Why do we have such reason to despise him? Well, in order to understand the whole story, we have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and read there the beginnings of the relationship between King Saul and David. So let me read some from uh, 1 Samuel 18, the first nine verses. By the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David, From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. Saul received David into his own household that day, no more to return to the home of his father. Jonathan, out of his deep love for David, made a covenant with him. He formalized it with solemn gifts, his own royal robe and weapons, armor, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul gave to David to do, he did it and did it well. So well, Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed that Philistine, the women poured out of all the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs and lutes, In playful frolic, the women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. Well, that made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. From that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. Now, the remaining verses of that 18th chapter tell how King Saul's jealousy and anger continued to mount against David day after day. All the while, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Verse 14. On two occasions when David was playing before the king, Saul took his javelin and tried to pin David to the wall, but David escaped. Saul then tried yet another method of having David killed, this time by arranging the wedding of David to one of his daughters, Michelle. 
King Saul sent word to David saying he didn't want any dowry, no money upon the marriage of his daughter. He had only a simple little request. And that was that David go out and kill a hundred Philistines. Saul knew that David's chances of survival would be only one in a hundred. Well, whether it was because of David's looking forward to being married to Saul's daughter, Michelle, or perhaps it was simply because the Lord was with David. Sure, that was the reason. At any rate, David went out and met the Philistines in battle. But he didn't kill a hundred of them. The final score of the David versus Philistines contest was David 200, Philistines 0. Yes, David killed 200 Philistines. Now in chapters 19 and 20 of 1 Samuel, we read how things went from bad to worse in the relationship between David and King Saul. Actually, the scripture says that Saul literally had an insane hatred for David, and he sought every way he could to have David killed. Chapter 21 begins by telling of David's escape to Nob as he was fleeing from King Saul's wrath. David went to Ahimelech the priest. Immediately Ahimelech knew something must be wrong since David came to him alone without any other men with him. It's important for us to remember at this point that the priest had no way of knowing that King Saul and David were not getting along well. All the priest knew was that Saul had elevated David to a place of leadership, and also that David was now King Saul's son-in-law, since he had married Michelle, the king's daughter. David fudged a bit on the truth when he explained to Ahimelech that he was here on a secret, secret business mission for the king. David then asked for food. There was none except the showbread which had been displayed before the Lord. But Ahimelech showed that he had not only a devotion to the Lord, but also had common sense. This was obviously an emergency situation when the first duty of religion was humanity. And so Ahimelech let David have this showbread to eat, bread that was dedicated to the Lord. The priest Ahimelech also gave to David the sword which David had earlier used to kill the Philistine giant Goliath, or rather Goliath's sword, which had David cut off the right head, giant's uh, head with. This had been carefully preserved in the tabernacle. As David looked on the shining blades, recalling the memories of his great victory, he exclaimed, give it to me. There's none like that. So Ahimelech did give it to him. And thus armed and refreshed, David hurried to leave the place. But as he went out, David happened to notice a man named Doeg. And at that moment, David knew that Doeg purposed evil in his heart. So chapter 21 concludes. And in chapter 22, we find Saul still pursuing David. And one day when Saul was in Gibeah, still angered by David's escape, still troubled by insanity. Saul summoned, summoned his advisors and his servants, and he had something to say to them. Let me read from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, 
I'll begin with verse uh, 7, I'll read verses 7 and 8 of chapter 22, 1 Samuel. Saul got the word of the whereabouts of David and his men. He was sitting under a big oak on the hill of Gibeah at that time, spear in hand, holding court, surrounded by his officials. He said, listen here, you Benjamites. Don't think for a minute you have any future with the son of Jesse. You think he's going to hand over choice land and give you influential jobs? Think again. Here you are conspiring against me, whispering behind my back. Not one of you is man enough to tell me that my own son is making deals with the son of Jesse. Not one of you cares enough to tell me that my son has taken the side of this man, the outlaw. But none of that concludes that reading. But none of Saul's followers would answer him, fearing perhaps to anger the king further. Maybe he even secretly hoping that David, their favorite, would make good on his escape. But this scoundrel Doeg was there too, and he broke the silence. Let me pick up the reading, First Samuel twenty-two, verse nine. Then Doeg, the Edomite who was standing with Saul's officials, spoke up. I saw the son of Jesse meet with Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, in Nob. I saw Ahimelech pray with him for God's guidance, give him food, and arm him with the sword of the Philistine. Well, upon hearing this news, King Saul, in a rage of fury, ordered this old priest Ahimelech to be brought before him. Why have you conspired against me, demanded Saul. Astounded, dismayed, and hurt at the charge of disloyalty, the old priest protested, claiming his innocence, saying that he had supposed that Saul would be pleased that he had assisted the king's son-in-law in a time of need. The words of the priest must have been impressive, and all who heard them knew that Ahimelech was telling the truth, absolutely. But King Saul was in one of those moments of insane anger when a man neither desires to hear the truth nor is capable of hearing it. And so what happens next? Saul sent for the priest Ahimelech, the son of Ahetub, along with the whole family of the priest at Nob. They all came before the king. Saul said, you listen to me, son of Ahetub. Certainly, master, he said. Why have you ganged up against me with the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword, even praying with him for God's guidance, setting him up as an outlaw, out to get me? That's when Ahimelech gave his answer. No, I don't think I was doing it that way. So the king said, death, Ahimelech, you're going to die, you and everyone in your family. And so, the wonderful priest, the godly man Ahimelech, fell victim to the sword of slander. There he lay, the priest of God and all his house killed. Never again would he inquire of God in man's behalf. Never again would he offer the atoning sacrifice. His priestly duties are over now. His holy prayers are ended. Not for crimes or sins of his own did he die but because of the word which was put out against him, 
by the lying tongue of Doeg. His long years of unfailing loyalty meant nothing now. Never mind his sterling character, his holy life, his unswerving faithfulness to the Lord and to the king. It was now all ended by the whisperings of a slanderer. Yes, Doeg was a past master in the art of murder by slander. The one who goes about loudly proclaiming and denouncing the vices of others is generally regarded either as an idiot or as a person who has an axe to grind. What this one says to another may not be given much weight, but when he puts it out a bad word on another by sly insinuation or maybe by whispering, that carries with it a deadly effect. It was not what Doeg said to King Saul about Ahimelech that ruined the priest. It was what Doeg insinuated. Everything Doeg reported was true in a sense, but it was told in such a way at such a time as to leave the impression in the mind of Saul that Ahimelech was indeed in conspiracy against Saul. When a witness takes a stand in court, he's under oath to tell not only the truth, but also the whole truth. Doeg told the truth, but not the whole truth. He didn't bother to go into details about how David had deceived the priest as to the reason for his coming, saying that he was on secret business for the king. Doeg heard all that, but he didn't bother to reveal that. And with this important fact omitted and under the circumstances of, Paul, of Saul's anger, which was already white hot, this innocent priest went to his doom. Sometimes slander is born of revenge, as it was the case with when Joseph refused to be seduced by Mrs. Potiphar. She lied about Joseph. Sometimes slander grows out of pride and hatred. Sometimes slander comes from the mouth of a person, not for any obvious reason except for the evil which possesses a person who delights to see the character or reputation of another torn to shreds. The strange thing is that the one who slanders another can always get somebody to listen. An ignorant person or an evil person might offer an opinion on business, politics, religion, or science and be laughed to scorn for an ignorant person. But that same person can raise a question about the character of another and immediately there's somebody listening who will accept it as the gospel truth. Someone has said that the biggest people with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest people with the smallest minds. The Psalmist David says in the 11th Psalm verse two, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. The slanderer is like the mountaineer who hides behind a tree, safe in concealment, and aims his rifle at the heart of another unsuspecting mountaineer as he passes by. The slanderer sometimes tries to excuse himself by saying he's only telling a white lie or a half-truth. The trouble with this is that no lie is white. And when one tells half of a truth, you can never be sure which half you're telling. This was the case with Doeg. 
just a little left out, emphasis misplaced, and the innocent priest was painted as a traitor, a conspirator. I think we might safely conclude that there's not one of us here today or anybody listening to me who would not stand in strong opposition to the liar, the slanderer. And yet, have you ever thought of the fact that the slanderer would make no headway at all if it were not for the assistance he gets from somebody else, other people? A false story may be maliciously begun, but others thoughtlessly and carelessly perpetuated. Have you ever said or have you ever heard somebody say, did you hear or can it be true that or I don't really believe this, but and there it goes. In the 15th Psalm, there's a description of the good man. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In the Living Bible paraphrase, that verse is given like this. Anyone who refuses to slander others does not listen to gossip, never harms his neighbor. If the Old Testament portrait of the noble man is one who would not take an evil reproach against his neighbor, then certainly the New Testament portrait of the noble person is described by Peter when he speaks of love which covers a multitude of sins. That's 1 Peter 4, 8. Also, Paul speaks of the love in 1 Corinthians 13, love that thinketh no evil and rejoiceth not in iniquity. Think of the example which parents can set before their children in this regard. A pastor once said that his father had been with, in his grave for 40 years, but there's one thing I remember about my dad. That is that only once did I hear him speak ill of another person. And that was when it was necessary in order to warn and guard his children. Let me close with a story that I heard when I was just a child, and that was many, many years ago. Maybe some of you who are listening will remember this old, old story about how hard it is to undo slander once it's been spoken. This story tells about a peasant who had slandered a friend who had told an untruth on another person, only to find out later that what he had said was not true. Troubled by his conscience, this man went to his religious leader to seek advice. The leader told the peasant, if you really want to make peace with your conscience, here's what you must do. You must fill a bag with black chicken feathers you must go, go to every door in the village and at each door drop one feather, one black feather, and then come back to me. The peasant did as he was told. Then he returned to the man who had sent him out. I finished what you told me to do, he said to the religious leader. Oh no, not yet, said the leader. Now, I want you to take your bag. I want you to go the rounds again. I want you to gather up every feather that you have dropped around the village. But the wind has blown them all away by this time, protested the guilty peasant. Yes, my son, said the man of God. 
And so it is with gossip and slander. Words are easily dropped, but no matter how hard you try, you can never get them back again. So what is the cure for gossip, slander, assassination by the tongue? It is that spirit which Doeg was so lacking in, spirit of love. When the love of Jesus Christ fills our hearts, our lives, then instead of delighting in dragging out and exposing and exaggerating the faults of somebody else, we'll do all within our power to, as we heard, kill them with kindness, cover them with our forgiveness, and love them into the kingdom. Alexander Pope offered a prayer which might well be our own prayer. Teach me, God, to feel another's woe, to hide the fault I see, the mercy I to others show, that mercy show to me. Lord, that's our prayer. We need mercy, all of us. So help us, we pray, not to be guilty of slander as Doeg was, but rather to show love as Jesus showed it. In his name we pray, amen.